strange sort of story that's told because he's um, he couldn't get warm. Okay, so he's he's uh, he, for whatever reason unable to get warm. So they say, well, let's find a young woman to to lie with you to keep you warm. And so they go and they find a beautiful young woman, verse three, throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite. And brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. Okay, so strange story, but she is introduced here because uh, she's going to be important later on. Uh, not directly herself, but um, uh, you'll see what happens. So now there's sort of the fight for who's going to take over after David. And uh, verse 5, Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he was a son of David. Um, but notice the language that's used. He exalts himself. Never a good thing. Uh, we already have a warning. This is not a good thing, that he exalts himself. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had at, never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done the, thus and so? Okay, so remember last week we saw that David never confronts his children for their sin. Okay, remember that? And uh, what was the reason that we suggested for that? Shame of his past sins. Yeah, so the, the shame of his own sins, and we can understand that. But it's not right. Okay, so um, David should have confronted his sons. He was the king. Um, it does seem, it's very interesting, although David was a mighty man of valor, certainly not a coward, it does seem that he, he uh, did back away from difficult conversations. He doesn't deal with his, his uh, sons, and he doesn't deal with Joab. In fact, he, spec he says about Joab, Joab is stronger than me. Uh, you know, the, these, Joab and his brother, they're, they're too much for me to handle. And that should not be the case. David was the king. David had the authority. David should have dealt with them, but he, he doesn't. Uh, he was not perfect. We know that. But um, the Lord loved him. Okay. The other thing is that we're told is that in... in uh, uh, verse 6, he was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. Okay, so we're reminded of Absalom, who, remember, was very handsome. Uh, the best looking guy, and the big hair, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he would weigh his hair, and, um, and we're told that Adonijah is also very handsome. And we already saw that with Saul. Saul was, was good-looking. And we said that if, if all the Bible says about you is your external beauty, that's not a good sign. Okay? The Bible's not against external beauty. Um, but if that's the only thing that's mentioned, then that's problematic. Okay? We shouldn't put our confidence in, in those things. Okay. Um, it's quite interesting, just as an example, we all know JFK, John F. Kennedy, okay, the, the president. And he's famous because he was killed. I don't think he'd be so famous if he wasn't, wasn't assassinated. But what, we, what most of us don't uh, realize is that the person he ran against, uh, Nixon, um, it was the start of the, the, the TV age, really, and they would have these presidential debates. And... Um, uh, Nixon was a new thing. They said to Nixon, we should give you some makeup. We should help you with this. He said, no, no, it's fine. And after the debate, they interviewed people. And everyone who listened by radio said Nixon won the debate. Everyone who watched it on TV said JFK won the debate. Um, because visually, JFK was younger and better looking and presented himself better. But in terms of argument, Nixon had the better arguments and more coherent uh, message. And so very often people, and it's the smallest margin that anyone's ever won a presidential election was JFK's uh, victory. Um, 
Well, actually, I suppose maybe it's changed a bit recently. There was that counting. But anyway, the... the uh, yeah, <laughs> they would never be famous. <laughs> the price of immortality. <laughs> uh, but just to tell you that we, we are influenced by looks. Okay. And, um, and again, as we saw last week, remember what the Lord said to Samuel, God does not look on the outside, but on the, on the heart. Okay. So Adonijah already, we're, we're, he's been linked with Absalom, he's exalting himself, he's etc., uh, etc., not a good guy. Um, and he tries to get support. He gets, he gets a priest on his side and a prophet on his side. And uh, then uh, Nathan comes to Bathsheba, verse 11, the mother of Solomon, and says, have you heard what Adonijah's doing? He's busy. You know, he's got a campaign going. He's claiming that he's going to be the king. And Bathsheba says, no, but the, the throne has been promised to Solomon. David promised that Solomon would be the king. And so she goes and meets with David, and Solomon is anointed king. And um, uh, David gives instructions to, to, um, to his son in chapter 2. So Adonijah realizes the game is up. Uh, he, he, he backs down and, and wants to make peace with Solomon. And Solomon says, okay, if you, you, know, if you, if you come in peace, then you will live. If, you, if you're duplicit, then you will die. So chapter 2, David gives a divine, uh, advice to Solomon. Verse 2, he says, I'm about to go the way of all the, all the earth. He's about to die. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me. Okay, and then there's the promise. Again, this reminds us, hopefully, of the, the words that were given to Joshua, to be strong and courageous. Um, the sort of last words of Moses and Joshua to the Israelites, all the way through, you see that these final words to the next generation are always, obey the Lord, be courageous, do what he says, and then you will know, blessing and so this is what is, is told to David. And then, and then, again, very interesting, the Lord, uh, sorry, David says to Solomon, these are the people that you need to watch out for. You need to actually deal with some of these people. You need to kill some of these people because they're going to cause you problems. And so he, he, he tells him who he needs to deal with. Okay, uh, he dies, David dies, and Solomon's reign is established there. Um, and Joab is is uh, is killed, so it's actually left to Solomon to, to yeah, to deal. Sorry. Um, Benaiah. Benaiah kills him. Uh, he's also a mighty guy, yeah, a warrior. Yeah. Um, okay, and so the, it, chapter 2 is really a list of these people that Solomon's establishing his reign. It's like very mafia-like. It's, <laughs> it's quite interesting. Uh, Shimei, the guy who cursed David when he fled Jerusalem. And, and um, one of the soldiers said to David, let me go kill him. And he said, no, no, the Lord has sent him to curse me. It's fine. But then he says to Solomon, watch out for Shimei. Uh, you know what you need to do to him. Don't let his gray hairs go down to the grave. Okay? Um, and so he says to Shimei, he says, Shimei, if you, don't, if you don't cross the river, I'll let you live. If I hear that you cross the river, you will die. One of his slaves goes missing, or a couple of his slaves, I think, go missing. He crosses the river to fetch them and brings them back. Solomon finds out, and that's the end of Shimei. So all the people that were sort of enemies of David, Solomon takes out, okay? establishing his, his reign. Uh, chapter 3, then, is his prayer for wisdom. So God visits Solomon on two occasions. Remarkable. And in fact, the Lord says that to him. You know, two times I visited you, but you didn't listen to me. He hasn't distressed the 
God by killing these people? No, because they, they are enemies. They, they, they needed to be dealt with. Um, and they were told, if you do this, you'll be okay. But if you disobey... Um, now remember, we mustn't take this as a manual for you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, people that we can take out. Uh, uh, this, is, this is, remember, Solomon is the king of Israel under God. So uh, you know that um, uh, false teachers, false pastors like to use that phrase, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Okay. But the Lord's anointed was the king. That's where that phrase comes from. It was the king of Israel, God's people. Um, and touching the Lord's anointed meant violence, killing. Okay? So the, the consequences for coming against the king of Israel. And so you see, remember we've spoken, we, we are not, we're not here talking of the church. This is, a, this is God's people, but they're also a nation with a government and they're a theocracy under God. So now, this is where, where the interesting work has to come, that we have to take the principles from a, nation, from a nation and a and a political institution and then apply them to the church because these things are written for our admonition. Okay. So, when we come to the new covenant, we're all kings. You are, Peter says, you are a royal priesthood. Okay. So we learn, we should learn from, from David and Solomon, etc., etc. Um, and then we have to apply it to, to ourselves. Now, I remember, as I've said to you, we're not to be going around killing people like the, like at, uh, at times in history where this, that's right, uh, sin and false teaching and wrong thinking. That's what we are to be putting to death in our, in our lives and to be ruthless with them okay? not to show mercy. Remember we saw with Samuel and Agag and Saul showed mercy to God said, I want you to destroy everything. Um, okay, so don't take this as a, <laughs> you know, some sort of practical advice for your life. Um, take it as, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David, my father, according as we walk before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. So this is definitely the, the repentant David told. Yes, yes. So, so um, uh, David is 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 um, like we, we when we get to Hebrews, we'll see when it looks back on these people and we look at Samson. It sees them as giants of the faith. And so, um, because once this, they've sinned and it's forgiven and repented of, then it's dealt with. Um, and so they, they are seen as righteous. They're in Christ. They're in the Lord. And so, um, it's, not, it's not flattery. Okay. It would be flattery if David was a total unbeliever. You know, was not converted, and you say, "What a righteous man!" Okay, so you know those funerals. We've probably all been to them, where the guy, you know, hated God, was a real rubbish, and everyone's going around how good he was and how amazing he was. You know, and they're lying because we all know <coughs> he wasn't a nice guy. And then they all say he's in a better place. That's 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 lying. Okay, uh, whereas. On, uh, at a Christian's funeral, you know, we've all sinned, but we don't need to go and say, you know, they were okay, you know, they, they believed in Jesus, but they did some bad stuff as well. We don't, no, they're forgiven, they're righteous, um, and they're with the Lord, and so we can say that truly. Um, and, and that's how they're, they're perfect in Christ. Okay, so this first visitation is is you know really beautiful we know this account where the lord comes to solomon and says to him what do you want and instead of asking for um wealth and power 
he, he asks for wisdom. He says, Lord, I'm just, I'm like a child, and I, in this, I have to rule this great nation, and, and so I, I don't know what to do. And so the Lord was very pleased with this, this prayer of Solomon and says, okay, I'm going to give you wisdom, and I'm going to give you wealth and, and peace. Okay. If you walk in my ways. Um, and so here you just see the humility of, of Solomon. You know, he's, he's, he humbles himself before the Lord. He knows that without the Lord he can do nothing. Um, and so the Lord honors him, gives him wisdom, and there's that famous story right up front, just as one story to display his wisdom. The two prostitutes have children, each one has a child, and then the one dies, and the other one, and then he says, well, cut the child in half. And of course, the real mother says, no, 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 let her have the child. And so he reveals the, the truth. And so everyone is, is amazed at his wisdom. Look at verse 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And so the nation is, is seeing the wisdom of God in, in Solomon. Okay, so um, chapter 4. Verse 20, we start, we're going to see now for a few chapters the establishment of, David, of Saul, Solomon's kingdom and its tremendous wealth and grandeur. Um, sorry, I didn't mention. So he's, he comes to power in about 970. So, um, just so you know. And he, he, he reigns until 930 B.C. That's quite an important date we'll look at just now. Okay, so uh, verse 20 says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Um, remember the promise to Abraham? Your descendants will be as the sand of the, the sea. Okay. Now, it's not a full fulfillment of that promise. Um, it, it's... It's because the promise would be all the nations would be blessed through through Abraham, through a descendant of Abraham. That's not yet happened. But God's people are flourishing. They're happy. Solomon brings peace. A wise leader brings peace and justice. And um, people have food and drink and there's joy. Uh, verse 25, And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and, and under his fig tree, all the days of Solomon. This is, doesn't seem like much to us, but this is when, when the prophets speak of the new heaven and new earth, the language they use, because what we, theologians call the, the horizon, the cultural horizon that they lived within, they use language like this, that, in the new heaven and new earth, everyone will have their own tree. Okay. Now, maybe to us it's like, <laughs> not such a great thing. But remember, in an agrarian culture, when you say everyone has their own vineyard and their own fig tree, their own land, um, you see, that's, that's the ultimate. Okay? If it had been written in the 21st century, it might be everyone will have a holiday home at the coast and a Ferrari. That would be our cultural horizon, what we would think, if you could think of what's the happiest, in a, humanly speaking, what's, what would be the best, you know? Sounds like a metaphor, really. It's a, it's a metaphor. God never blesses us with something like this, because it does, it's not a blessing. What, a Ferrari? Yeah. Not now, but if, yeah, but if, you, were, if you were to, if you were to, if you were to live at, remember what you said, the Old Testament, the blessings are primarily physical. Okay? Okay. So they're pictures, like you say, a metaphor. Okay. Um, but it's not to say that the new heaven and new earth is not some spiritual, ethereal place. It's real. Remember, Jesus says, touch my body, flesh and bone. Give me something to eat, some fish. He ate some fish. We will eat and drink and have glorified bodies. And enjoy. Just think of all the beautiful things we do get to enjoy. As all the stuff we see as a blessing, that's superficial. So it's, it's just like a, 
No, not necessarily. No, no. If we can enjoy it legitimately, without idolatry, they're, they're glorious. Like, like a good meal is a gift from God that you can really... It's not superficial. That's when we die, our, our, our idea or our understanding of what true blessing or true... Or will be different to what that's describing it. It'll be much more than this. Yeah. Yes, but these... Every, In a different way. But it's still physical. So the new heaven and new earth will still be physical. Physical is good. We're not like, well, we need to be get rid of the physical. Yes, that's true. But remember what it says: eyes not seen, ears not hear, heard. Um, the things that God has prepared for us, but it's been revealed to us by His Spirit. So for the believer. There is a sense. That's why we can enjoy the things of this life as a foretaste. So, a beautiful sunrise. You say, well, that's a foretaste. Uh, a wonderful meal, a great holiday, a, a great swim in the sea. Uh, whatever, you know, whatever you find, a walk, a hike on the Table Mountain, or a good bike ride. Whatever it is, those things, those, as Christians, we're talking as Christians, because we're the only ones who can legitimately enjoy it properly, not as an end in itself. That's why Paul says God has given us all things richly to enjoy because they, they point, they're pointers beyond to, to, um, to the new heaven and, and new earth. But it, it, it will be far greater. What we're seeing here is that in their horizon, their framework is what would be the best? If you could think of the best, this is what it is. Now, it is much more than that. Um, but notice what it's saying. It's saying, under Solomon, it's using this language, that almost this eschatological language that it's glorious. Under Solomon, everyone, there's no war. They don't need to worry. God gave them peace from Dan to Beersheba. Remember I said that's sort of a way of saying from the top to the bottom. Um, it's a glorious time. But things start to go south, okay? as they always do when it comes to, to us, to people. Um, uh, okay, so we start to get a little bit of concern here, we should. Verse 26, Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And I, uh, I think it was just a few years ago, archaeologists discovered one of... Um, Solomon's stables. Um, okay. Why is that a problem? Why does this sound a little bit scary? Did you say that God doesn't want them to have that sort of army formation? They yes. To be people that they fight with his power. They, they trust him. Yes. Correct. And also there was a warning about horses. Not many horses. Okay. Because horses are military might. Um, okay. But we'll, it'll, it'll expand and we'll, we'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, Solomon, verse 29. God gave him wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind, like the sand on the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men. And then these, these guys are mentioned, wiser than Ethan and Heman, and Kalkol and Dada. Obviously at the time, people would have known. Um, but he's wiser than all the wise men of the ancient Near East. Um, verse 32, he also spoke 3,000 proverbs. So many of the proverbs are, are the proverbs of Solomon. And his songs were 1,005. Now look at this, verse 33, he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and kings as well. So notice that there's also some science and biology there. Huh? He studied the trees and the fish and the beasts. When you look at sort of the Renaissance and Victorian England, the, the, those people were what we call polymaths. 
like you'll read of some guy um, and it'll say he, he, he knew how to speak five languages. He, he did mathematics and science. He did some invention in science and he wrote a book and he discovered this yeah. island, you know. And you're thinking, my goodness, these guys excellent in everything. That's the idea with Solomon. Um, he, he, he's just doing science and biology, studying creatures and animals and trees and plants. And he's writing songs and he's writing proverbs and he's giving counsel. Uh, you, see, you see God's blessing upon him, wisdom. So, correct me if I'm wrong, there wasn't uh, so all of this, is that also included in what wisdom is? Or is that also like more like he was blessed with like knowledge? So, is it like wisdom and knowledge as well? Yes. So, so he, he uh, uh, wisdom in the Bible, well, let's keep this for Proverbs when we get to wisdom literature because okay. we've got a lot to okay. get through. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, okay, the, then the temple, Solomon builds the temple and it is, um, you need to read through that. It is huge. You can look at the figures there, verse 15 of chapter 5, 70,000 burden bearers, 80,000 stone cutters, 3,300 chief officers. They quarry, they build. He takes wood from Lebanon and stone and um, um, it's, it's, a, it's also, just, just so you note some things, uh, verse 18 of chapter 6. The cedar within the house was carved in the form of gourds and open flowers. Uh, no stone was seen. Uh, then look at um, verse 23. In the inner sanctuary made two cherubim of olive wood, each ten cubits high, etc., etc. Verse 29. Around all the walls of the house he carved engraved figures of cherubim and palm trees and open flowers. Verse 32, carvings of cherubim, palm trees and open flowers. Verse 35, the same thing. What do you think is going on here? What do you think he's trying to create? Palm trees, palm trees flowers, angels. The Garden of Eden. See that? This is the presence of God. Where the presence of God is, that's paradise. So within the temple, which again goes, remember when we do the Ten Commandments, you shall not make any graven image. And I said to you, that's not against statues or... Um, because in the very temple, <laughs> there was engravings of palm trees and angels. Uh, the issue is idolatry. Okay, if you're saying, this is my God and I worship it, that's what the, the commandment is against. It's not saying engravings or statues or anything like that is sinful. If you worship it, that's idolatry. That's the problem. But you can see that it's, it's, it's supposed to remind one of, of paradise. Okay? Incredibly beautiful. I mean, you can go and read it. Uh, notice that the inner sanctuary, verse 20, was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. And he overlaid it with pure gold. As you move to, this, to the holiest of holies, the elements become more pure. So you move towards gold, okay, from um, brass and bronze to gold. Okay? And then it's a perfect cube. Remember, I think when we did the tabernacle, I told you that. The t perfect cube in Revelation, because you have this city where its height is the same as its length and its breadth. You know, we don't know of a city like that, like a perfect cube. It's reminding us of this. It's saying, it's not to be taken literally, it's saying the presence of God, the holiest of holies. We will actually live in the presence of God. Okay. Uh, so here you see the description. Some, the description in Revelation should be taken literally. No, it's apocalyptic literature. So we're, It's um, symbolic. Even the first verse, first or second verse, tells us... Um, to symbolize what is to take place, to signify, to give you pictures, but it's not, it's not to be read in a literalistic way. Right. 
Okay, then Solomon builds his own palace, and then um, there's more description about the temple, and you see pomegranates and lily work, and again, this idea of paradise. Then the ark is brought to the temple, and then there is Solomon's prayer of dedication. That's in uh, chapter 8. And this is a beautiful prayer. But really what he reiterates is um, from Deuteronomy 28. Remember the blessings and curses. The Lord said, if you obey me, this is what will happen. If you disobey me, this is what will happen. And so Solomon says, Lord, if, when we sin, if we look towards the temple, if we pray towards this place, your presence, and we repent, hear us, okay? uh, listen to us, uh, look after us. Um, and so he goes through uh, all, all the things. If we sin, if a man sins against his neighbor, if your people are defeated in war, when heaven is shut up because there's no rain. Uh, so he's saying, Lord, when we sin, please, and we cry out to you, please hear us. Okay. Um, and um, this temple well, not this one specifically, but the temple will become a stumbling block to Israel. Um, even though Solomon himself will say, you know, I built this house for you, Lord. But then later on he says, well, I know that the heaven of heavens can't contain you. So even within the Old Testament, there is the understanding that God doesn't literally dwell in a house. He can't, you, you know, he's not restricted to, to a building. He's much greater than that. But the Jews begin to, to idolize the temple and not God. A huge amount of sacrifices given, it says there on that day, 20, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep were sacrificed at the dedication of the temple. So massive numbers. Chapter 9 is the second visitation where the Lord comes to Solomon. And this time he gives him a warning. He says, look, if you, if you walk in my ways, I'll establish you. But if you don't, I will, I will remove um, Israel from you. So he'll divide the kingdom. And so now there's a warning. Uh, not everything is so great. Um, we, we come then to chapter 10. We have the story of the Queen of Sheba. And... She's blown away. So she comes from North Africa. Um, it's probably sort of around Sudan, that area right now. That um, Okay, so she came from there and she's blown away. She had, herself had tremendous wealth and power and majesty, but she's blown away by his wisdom and greatness. And then we're told something about, uh, about him. Look at verse 14. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. What's interesting about that? Yeah. The mark of the beast, yeah. huh? 666. So it, it, it's a bit ominous, hey? Um, now don't get... Uh, no, you're going to have to wait for Revelation. So you're going to <laughs> Okay. But that's a lot of gold. Every year, 666 talents of gold. Um, and then it goes on to list all the things. Um... One per year. per year, yeah. And then it goes through the other things. Um, then verse 26, And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore. And then verse 28, and Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt. Okay. Then verse, chapter 11, verse 1, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Okay, and then he takes, you know, the story, 700 wives, 
and 300 concubines, verse 3. Okay, now, I'll keep your fingers there. Go to Deuteronomy 17. Remember, the king was actually supposed to read the whole book of Deuteronomy every day. Okay, and as I said to you, it's not that long. You could do it in, in an hour. Okay. Verse 14. When you come to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then, I, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around you, you may indeed set a king over you. So during the law, when the law is given, this is when Moses is around, it's already, there are, are uh, commands made for the monarchy. So the expectation was that the monarchy will come into, into existence. Okay. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Which one of those did Solomon fail at? <laughs> Every single one, huh? Eh? Well, the silver and gold God gave him. <laughs> Excessive silver and gold that he, he brought to himself. Okay. So, uh, for all his wisdom, he, he, he drifted from the Lord. The first visitation, the first time the Lord came to him, Verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. When we come to chapter 11, um, now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 3 of, much earlier of chapter 3, he loved the Lord. Now he loves these women. Um, Through these, through, through these wives. It says that, look at verse 4. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart from after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as with the heart of David his father. No, no, so it's very interesting, and... Um, so, what we find in Scripture is that men are, are to lead, and husbands are to lead, but that the power of a woman is, is incredibly great, the influence a woman can have on a man. So, you see that right at the beginning, Adam and Eve, so that Eve is able to, yeah, also eat, for good or bad. Okay. Not that the man is not responsible, the man is to lead and he is absolutely responsible, but the scriptures do show the power of a wife for good or evil is great. So that's why we say, be careful who you marry, as either way, <laughs> because it must be a godly man or a godly woman, <coughs> because the effects. Um, so he, he went after a beautiful woman that he loved, but they were, in fact, so he, he starts to, he actually builds, so there it says there, verse 7, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. So he actually goes and he builds around Jerusalem temples to false gods for all of his wives. Okay. Seven hundred. 
<laughs> so um, it's it's really sad. Uh, it's everything the Lord said. Remember, we saw with Samson as well. He was a Nazarite. Everything he wasn't supposed to do, he did. And Samson, Sam, uh, Solomon does the same. Uh, so, would, would his wisdom Wouldn't that, wouldn't that sort of help him from making the right decision? Or? Yeah, so this is, this is where, um, you know, there's debate over, over Solomon. Okay. Because in, in the history, because remember we're in history now. There's between wisdom and disobedience. Eh? You don't need to be wise to obey. You don't need to be, uh, you don't have to be wise to disobey. Okay. Well, look. to be an uh, idiot to disobey. Well, Proverbs would, would have it would say differently. Yeah. So, God's wisdom is, is the, 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 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, um, if we're saying IQ, then yeah, we don't need to be super clever to be. You know, to obey God. It's not like, oh, well, Christianity is for super clever people or something. No. But wisdom, wisdom is applying the knowledge, the truth that you have. Um, so he, he goes off the rails. So remember, remember, God gives us many blessings, but I can abuse it. Oh, okay. I, I can, so he, he has the gift and he disobeys. So, yeah. it's pride and arrogance. Yeah, so definitely, and so I'm much wealth. Be, I'm not there. I, I know how to deal with it. I'll be okay. It's not to do it, but I'll be okay because I'm wise. So we, we'll see when we come to the wisdom literature because Solomon is the one who gives us Ecclesiastes and the Proverbs. And um, I believe Ecclesiastes is, is at the end of his life where he looks back and he says, this is, this is wisdom. Mm. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. So I believe that Solomon comes right at the end, but it's a painful, painful journey he goes through because sin, sin destroys, and he has to basically he becomes, yeah. Well, wait for Ecclesiastes. It's it's amazing. Okay. I have to, otherwise I'll be undisciplined. And, okay. So now, because of his disobedience, the, the, the kingdom is going to be divided. So under Saul and David and Solomon, we talk about the united kingdom. Okay? So north and south are united under these three monarchs. But after them, it's the divided kingdom. Okay? between uh, Israel and Judah. And so now that's what's going to happen. We're going to see that his son, Rehoboam, so, yeah, the, the, and exactly what the Lord said to Solomon, because if you obey me, you'll be fine. I will, your line will continue for the whole kingdom. But if you disobey me, I will, I will divide the kingdom. But I, because of David, your father, I will still keep a descendant on the, on the throne. Okay, so Rehoboam. Um, Jeroboam is, is told that he's going to, uh, going to be king of, the, of Israel. Uh, Rehoboam, uh, uh, after... Um, Rehoboam's the next in line. So look at chapter 12. And they come to Rehoboam and they say to him, Your father, verse 4, made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And then he says to them, We'll go away in our, you know, for a few days and then come back. And he's going to go chat to some people, get some counsel. Now, the word yoke is quite an important word. Uh, what does it mean? What is it from? Uh, Sorry? Food, 
yeah so to be to be yoked to something so two oxen would be yoked together so yoke in the bible is is to be yoked to something remember what jesus said matthew 11 my yoke is easy and my burden is light so jesus says come to me my yoke is easy my burden is light in the scriptures the yoke uh, the law is referred to as a yoke. Okay. Um, here, uh, uh, slavery in Egypt was referred to as a yoke. Okay. That was hard. The sin is hard. Okay. We always think it's easy, but it's, it's hard in terms of it's, it destroys. And it brings the wages of sin is death. Okay. The payment for sin is, is death. So they say, look, Solomon, his yoke was hard. So again, because he, he moved away from God, he became a cruel tyrant. Rehoboam goes to the old men and he says to the, the advisors, the old advisors, what must I do? And he said, no, make the yoke easy. He goes to his buddies, his peers, and they say, make it harder. Say to, say to, this is what you must say to them. Um, say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Okay. So you thought it was bad under my dad. My little finger is thicker than my dad's thigh, you know. So, <laughs> and he listens to his buddies and he loses the, the half the kingdom. Okay. They, they, they reject him and they go after Jeroboam and Jeroboam gets... Israel. Okay. No, no. Um, yeah, you can read there where Jeroboam comes from, but um, the way I remember it, just <laughs> so you know, the northern Israel divided into two. I'll get another pennant. Um, let me just go look in my bag. Another, I've got a red or a green one in the front there. So Jeroboam is is the the north, and Rehoboam the south. So I just remember Jr. Junior, oh, okay. Jr. <laughs> okay. So Jeroboam succeeded. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. He was supposed to get the kingdom. But because of Solomon's sin, and then the, the mechanism is Rehoboam's folly, half the kingdom is, well, more than half is lost, and Jeroboam is raised up as, as king. Um, okay, so that happens in 930 BC. So certain dates are important to just sort of remember, uh, and the, the dividing of the kingdom is, is important. Okay. If you, if you go to chapter 12, verse 25, the heading says Jer Jeroboam's golden calves. So Jeroboam is king of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem is in... Uh, Jerusalem is in the, in the south. That's where the temple is. So he, he becomes scared, even though God is placed in there. He says, well, if the, if the people start traveling down across the border for the festivals, the, then their hearts are going to be turned against me and they're going to overthrow me. What I will do is I will establish places of worship within Israel. And I'll build my own buildings and I will, I will make my own priesthood. And at these places, they put golden calves. Okay, that sounds familiar. Hey? <laughs> Exodus. Okay, they're going back to doing that, and so that's an abomination, of course. Okay, this false worship. Yet, this is a remarkable thing. They are still part of the people of God. Okay, so God is very gracious to them, but it's, they're going to be wiped out much sooner than or judged much sooner than the 
than the southern kingdom. Okay. And really, that's what First and Second Kings will give us the history of these two, of the north and the south. And what we find is that the, the, the kings in the north are basically all bad. And because of this apostasy of Jeroboam, and Jeroboam's a key figure, it will say things, when it talks of a king, it will say, he did evil as his father, Jeroboam. Or he did what was right as his father, David. Okay. They're often held up like that. Okay. So Jeroboam becomes a key figure who leads Israel into false worship. Um, Uh, now, there's a long list here, and obviously we don't have time to go into it, into each one of these, uh, these guys. Uh, but there are some sp especially bad ones. One of them is Ahab. And um, he is a, a king in the north, Ahab. And at the same time, we are introduced to Elijah. So during the period of the kings, we, we have these prophets. God sends prophets to the kings to call them back to covenantal faithfulness. Yes, north and south. Yeah. Yes, Ahab, Ahab is married to Jezebel. Okay. So she's, she's also... Um, it actually says that under the influence of Jezebel. So uh, th that was one of the examples I wanted to use. So like Eve um, and the woman that Solomon marries, Jezebel also. Ahab's responsible. He's an evil king. But the Bible is clear that Jezebel has tremendous influence over yeah, him. They were actually worshipping Baal, right? So that's where they're bolting and then they, they make the altar and they fire. Yeah, so... so um, uh, uh, Elijah burns his one and they... Mount Carmel, yeah. So Ahab is the guy that introduce, introduces Baal worship to the Israelites. So Baal um, means father. Okay, So even in the scriptures, God will say, I am Baal. Okay, So he even calls himself Baal. But this is, this is not <clears throat> um, the true and living God. This is Baal, the, the false God who is a, a, a fertility god. So most of the gods were fertility gods because it's an agrarian culture. You, <laughs> that's how you survive. You want crops. You want children who can farm for you and look after you when you're older. You want fertility. No, they normally... They, it's, um, it's like, like the most, most monarchies. It's hereditary. Yeah. Um, uh, Jezebel worships the female goddess, the Canaanite goddess, Asherah, who is also a goddess of fertility. Um, okay, but Elijah and then we have Elisha, the two prophets. These are called the pre-classical prophets. So the classical prophets or classic, yeah, classical prophets are your writing prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Elijah and Elisha don't, you know, don't write anything. We don't have a book of Elijah or something like that. But they, they especially Elijah, is incredibly important. He um, is a, the prophecy of, of Elijah coming again before the Messiah comes. And Jesus tells us John the Baptist was Elijah. Because it's not a literal coming of Elijah. It was one in the spirit of Elijah. And John the Baptist was in the spirit of Elijah, even dressed the same way and was quite a wild guy. Um, but Elijah does uh, incredible miracles. Um, but he's also, you know, he's a real man, a real human being because he has incredible highs and then incredible lows. When he defeats the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, it's an incredible display of God's power. You know, he, you would think he's... He's on top of the world. It's all going together. It's interesting that we're, none of the Asherah prophetesses are there. I think Jezebel knew, you know, I'm not going to risk it. <laughs> okay. um, so she keeps her sort of religion going. But she says, look, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. And he runs away. And uh, 
And you sort of think, well, how can this be? You know, he's just won such a great victory. But again, we, we should all be familiar with this type of thing where, you know, one day we feel so close to the Lord and everything's just fantastic. And we think, how could I ever have sinned? You know, this is crazy. And then the next day we, we fall in sin and we were finished. The prophets came and confronted them, yeah. Okay. So that's what the prophets were there to do. The prophets were there to confront the kings and the nation, but the kings, especially because the kings, if the kings made reforms, the nation would have to follow. So you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, it wasn't sort of freedom of religion or anything like that. It was, um, okay. So the, the Asherah, so all of these, all of these religions would build high places, places of worship on mountains. Okay. And even in, in Judaism, that's, that was true. And they built Asherah because one of the symbols of the Canaanite goddess was a tree, fertility. Um, and, and sometimes they, they would either meet under trees or else they'd build poles to represent her. Those are called the high places. So often when you read about the kings destroyed the high places or they did not destroy the high places, those are the places around Israel on, on, on top mountaintops, hilltops, where, they were, where there were altars, places to sacrifice and worship these false gods. Okay. But it shows how bad the situation is that, you know, all over the place, there's this idolatry going on. So for us, then, it would be pull down the high places in your heart and in your mind. Every high thing that exalts itself against God. Every place of idolatry in, in our hearts and our minds to destroy them. Okay? So we, ha we, we have wrong thinking on, on so many things. Okay. Um, let's just finish First Kings. I'm not too worried about, about the time because Chronicles is a lot of repetition, so I'm just going to, going to repeat what King says. Okay. Um, but God judges Ahab and Jezebel. Um, Elijah comes to him, chapter 21, because they steal a vineyard from Naboth. By, by getting him falsely accused and put to death. And the prophet comes to him and says, uh, verse 19, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. And then verse 23, And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Chapter 22, verse 34, But a certain man drew his bow at random They're in, in battle. So it's just a random shot, and it, it goes between the scale armor of the breastplate of Ahab, and he, is, he dies in his chariot, and then they go and clean the chariot and sweep the... They wash the chariot, verse 38, and they wash the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. So exactly what the Lord said. Um, Jezebel comes later, as we'll, we'll read. Now... Just to say, before we take a break, remember, we always want to come to Christ. We, we believe that the whole Bible points us to Jesus Christ. Now, when you're reading the Kings and Chronicles, sometimes you can be thinking, well, how on earth does Ahab show me about Jesus? So, remember that every sort of institution points us to Christ. So, so the, the temple, the sacrifices, all of these things, the monarchy the judges, uh, every uh, person points us to Christ, but not always by imitation, sometimes by being the opposite. So when you read about a bad king, then he shows us Christ by being the opposite. So a king who, who is deceitful, Christ is a king who speaks the truth. A king who is a tyrant and unjust Jesus is, is just and kind and a servant leader and a good shepherd. So uh, we also 
see Christ by, um, by showing us the contrary as well. Okay, so when you read these, these horrible passages where everything seems doom and gloom, it's there to show us, well, we're waiting for a good, good king. Okay. It shows you how bad it gets when Christ isn't there. Yes. When Christ isn't in our life, we can go as prophets. Yeah. Um, okay, so I think we'll take a break there. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick break, about 15 minutes. Um, so you can join back on the same link. Uh, when you're back, uh, we'll post and let you know. Thanks, guys. The symbol of Asherah is a 